This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So, if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a gloomy Tuesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I feel like it's been raining seven straight days in Atlanta. It's very annoying. It's like eighty degrees. It's muggy. It's awful. It feels like spring, and it's like mid June, so everything's normal. Everything's fine in the world. But uh, Chris, I don't actually know where you are, but I'm about to ask after I introduce you in this long-winded intro. It's Chris Quick of YahooSports.com. Chris, good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. I am actually in Chicago now. I uh, I was in Seattle uh, as recently as March, and we moved to Illinois, where uh, both my family and my wife's family are from. So. It's been a hectic couple months, but we are finally getting settled in, and it's, it's nice to be back. The biggest difference between Chicago and Seattle? Oh, you know, there's a lot of things. It, I think one of the things I noticed is uh, everyone talks about the weather nonstop in Chicago. It's like one of those weird things. Mm. Uh, and no one pays attention to the speed limits in Chicago. Like everyone's constantly doing 80, even though the posted speed limits are 60 on the expressways. So th- those are the two things that stick out to me. Interesting. So would you rather <laughs> have the year, the like the yearly rain pour or the, the cold, the, the, just the December Chicago cold? Oh, yeah. I've done that uh, once. And it's, I mean, I'd rather have Seattle for sure. Interesting. Okay. I can deal, I can deal with, uh, a couple months of rain, uh, because the summer months there are just extremely beautiful. Whereas here, I, I know it's going to be 99 soon and then we get a polar vortex in December. So can't say I'm looking forward to that. Oh yeah. Well, live it up. You've got a couple more months until that, uh, frozen tundra <laughs> comes back. So enjoy it while you can, Chris. Um, so there's a couple different, uh, major league baseball topics I wanted to talk about tonight because, uh, you are a major league baseball writer for Yahoo Sports. But, um, the first thing that I think is, Super interesting because A, Sam Miller and uh, Ben Lindbergh did not want to talk about this team on uh, Effectively Wild this week. <laughs> They're just waiting it out until the, the Rangers um, just inevitably fall back into Seattle Mariner purgatory. 
but um, they're not there yet. 40% of the season is done. And if the season started today, the Boston Red Sox would not be in the playoffs and the Texas Rangers would be, which is just as what we all expected. And, you know, one guy who just would love today's matchup if the playoffs started today, um, because it would be the Tampa Bay Rays versus the Texas Rangers. Um, God, what a great matchup for Rob Banford. I'm sure he would be doing uh, <laughs> jumping jacks at the idea of Blake Snell versus uh, Mike Miner in uh, a wild card uh, game. So that would be great. Um how are the Rangers in the playoffs the season started today? How how does this happen for them? Uh, well, it's a great question. I think, you know, Miner certainly has a, a big role to play, at least thus far. Um, he's been really fantastic. And I think he showed some signs of that last year. But there's always some skepticism when, when a guy of that age does something so far outside of uh, their previous performance that you, you kind of don't expect them to continue that and carry it over. Um, you know, I think you've seen the resurgence of Hunter Pence. I mean, that's been a huge thing, which I, I think the the common thread here is I don't know that this will hold up with either guy or maybe with any of their standout guys, but it's happened thus far and gotten them to this point. So I think those two have been a, a huge part of it. Um, you know, Shin, Shin Chu continues to be a useful player. Um, he's hitting the ball really hard this year. So it's just, it's just one of those things. And I think, I mean, if we're, if we're speaking frankly here, I think part of it is there are just no contenders in the American league. So uh, when you have a team like this, where you get some surprising performances to start the year in a really weak American league, suddenly you're five, six games over 500. And we're talking about them potentially being contenders. So I, I feel like that maybe more than anything else has really played into why they're doing so well right now. So you touched on something I hadn't really considered is that there are no contenders and they're just kind of taking advantage of everyone being injured and bad in the American league. Mm-hmm. Um, is that all it is? It Cause it just feels like everybody in the American league outside of the Astros um, got wrapped. Cause I would still say that they're contenders. I, I think I have to throw them in that category. I'm not a twins believer. And I think the Yankees still have some question marks, even though um, friend of the pod, Rich Eisen did uh, tweet out that DD's return um, meant that they actually didn't need to pay Manny Machado and that uh, not paying Manny Machado was the right move. Um, but more at 11 there, uh, folks. But um, yeah, I, I just, I guess outside of the Astros, I guess um, I'm, I'm comfortable with that statement as the team stand right now. Um, but that James Paxson investment, I think that's paying dividends over there in uh, New York. But um, I don't know. It, why do you think that is? Why do you think uh, teams... Um, across the AL spectrum are just really struggling this year? Well, I mean, I think we saw a lot of it in the offseason, right? There were so few teams that seemed to be in on any free agent. I mean, not just the the Harpers and Machados of the world, but the fact that it took Dallas Keuchel this long to find a job or a guy like Adam Jones uh, or even Hunter Pence, who I, I believe took a, a minor league deal, yeah. uh, or, or Derek Dietrich, who has, has really performed well and uh, his was like he was like a non-roster invitee or something. I, I think. Can we get Derek Dietrich and Tim Anderson on the same team? What do we have to do to d- make this happen? <laughs> oh man, you know what? That would be awesome. But <laughs> I, I don't think the White Sox are going to be in the market for Derek Dietrich anytime soon. No. Um, yeah. I, I, so I think I think we're seeing a lot of the effects of the off season. Uh, a team like the White Sox, 
you know, they, they say they tried to make a splash. I, I kind of wonder if the, the AL landscape would look a little bit different if they did, or if at least they'd be taken more seriously as contenders. I mean, just imagine if Yonder Alonso had his brother-in-law on the roster. He, he wouldn't be exactly. posting a career-low WRC plus right now. Yeah, I mean, I think you could make the case for the White Sox being a dark horse contender if yeah. they had Manny Machado. I think a team like Oakland, who is now behind the Rangers in the West, they didn't really do much. Um, had they spent a little bit of money, I mean, they, they, in my mind, would have solidified their status as a contender or at least a wild card team. You know, I, f- I feel like because of that and, and because Cleveland kind of did the same thing, um, that, that second wild card spot to me in the American League is open. So if Texas wants to go for it a month from now and, and, and try to acquire talent to make that run and maybe take Cleveland out of that conversation for the second wild card, I, I really couldn't blame them just based on how the rest of the league looks right now. Because in my mind, I think you can you can probably pencil in the Yankees and Tampa, and I still think the Red Sox. Can we pencil I think, in the Rays? I, I guess I'm just skeptical until well, it actually happens. I, I, yeah, I mean, I would like to be skeptical on that as well, but I think I'm willing to, again, because I don't know who replaces them. Um, you know, I, I like what Minnesota's done, so I'm I'm kind of tentatively penciling them in. And Houston, like you said, I feel confident about. It's that last spot to me. It's it's Cleveland, Texas, I guess Oakland, and I kind of want to count out the Angels, but maybe that's stupid because Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. So I think I think you make a case for really any of those teams if they wanted to go in at the deadline, provided they don't fall much farther out of the race. Um, that that spot's just wide open to me. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. It's it's pretty dubious. I don't believe in any of those teams. So it's like if you're one of those teams, I don't either. Huh, I don't. But one of them's going to make the playoffs. Right. So why not? I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, like the whole thing that we've all, um, John and I have joked of as I've just like, why not? Like these teams, like the White Sox are a good example of being better than you thought you were going to be. And if you got Machado, you'd be in a, you'd probably be in a top of the AL central right now, if you um, had gone for guys um, who were available right now, um, you might be having a better season if you had just gone for it because some guys just hit at a, at a time when you weren't expecting it. Some teams just get good quicker. Like the twins are hitting now, which is great, but um, you just kind of never know um, sometimes when you're going to reach that next gear um, with your young guys. And I think the white Sox miscalculated how close they were. 100% 100% correct, especially on the White Sox, where I think they're a great example of prospect development is not linear. Um, I think you could not have seen Lucas Giolito and Tim Anderson and Yoan Moncada making these big of strides this season, especially Giolito and Anderson. Um, and some of what Anderson's doing is maybe fluky, but I, I think a lot of the advanced stats. Um, these kind of support that he's hitting the ball harder and he's, he's doing things that would support maybe having a, a better batting average and hitting for more power. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I mean, that, that's the case for going for it, right? They, they had these collection of young players. Um, you never know when those guys are suddenly going to figure it out. And for a guy like Giolito, I, I mean, that didn't, it didn't look possible last year. So you know, had they picked up a guy like Dallas Keuchel and Manny Machado or any combination of 
one or two free agents, I really think we're looking at this team so much differently. And, and I think they're the biggest example of that this year. And it's like the Yomankata stuff where it was just like he had a rough year last year, but it was like he was the centerpiece in the Chris Sale trade. Like, right. you, why would you expect that like there was not a possibility or maybe not expect, but like understand there's a possibility that this young superstar type um might put it all together and become a really good player um really fast because you just know like you said it's not linear and some of these guys are just going to pop at different times and you just you never know how it's going to go for some of these guys and um if you have a lot of young guys who were projected to be good in the farm system like you bet on your farm system you're like hey you know what if these guys hit we have these veterans and we have these other guys and then we're in we're then we're cooking with something there um so oh well but it's it's a big big surprise that the the reinsdorf regime did uh not estimate <laughs> things properly it's it's a big big shocker there um the mike minor stuff is i think extremely fascinating and we're kind of tossing that aside because the the rangers have basically the last two seasons uh put together a makeshift um remember this guy from the mid-2000s starting mm-hmm. rotation and it's gone horribly for just about everybody except for two guys. And those two guys are two of the best. Like, they're, they're number two uh, per fan graphs in uh, number one, number two combo pitchers um, in baseball. They're just behind Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg, which, if you're a Nationals fan, has just got to, like, send you into hyperdrive just how good <laughs> these guys are. And it just doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, but it's Lance Lynn, who they took a flyer on. And he's been extremely... Like pretty solid for them this year. Um, you could say above solid, whatever. And then Mike Miner, like those are they're a legitimately really good one-two combo for them. And uh, it's just it's weird that baseball works like this sometimes, where they sign Mike Miner when he was a reliever, do a reliever deal with the plan mm-hmm. of turning him into a starter, and then it, their investment paid off. Like they actually did it. Like Mike Miner is just like this amazing story. And just, I remember when he's coming with the Braves and the Vanderbilt stuff and I loved him um, when he was in Atlanta, but injuries and everything just kind of derailed him. And it looked like he was never going to get back to what he was. And now he's just an, an ace on a playoff team as of today. It's it's wild. Yeah. I mean, none of this should have gone this well. Like the whole idea of, of signing a reliever and making him a starter um, you know, on paper, it's, it's a thing that makes sense, right? That if if a guy's good, you want to get the most innings out of him possible. But there's also that that thinking of, well, maybe he's good because he's only pitching short stints, or maybe he's good because he's cut down his arsenal to you know two pitches, and and that that can get you by as a reliever. So the the fact that Miner is a performing well and B, like you said, a lot of it's backed up by the numbers thus far. His strikeout rate's been good. There's nothing in his BABIP that suggests uh, he's bound to experience major regression. My only concern really is just lack of innings for him. He he hasn't topped 200 innings since 2013. So at some point down the road, you know, maybe you're looking at easing off the workload. But yeah, I mean, both of those guys have been such a major success. You're you're giving me an article idea. I'm going to have to look into what they've done because with okay. both guys, I mean, with, with both guys really like I, I, it leads me to wonder if there's something going on philosophically within the organization. Um, because you know, the Rangers had minor last year and he was fine. He was honestly better than I expected, uh, considering where he had been throughout most of his career. So to then get him to take an even bigger step forward, 
um, I, I really would wonder if, if something's going on that maybe uh, we're not seeing within the organization. Yeah, um, John Daniels, actually good GM. Who would have who would have guessed that he might know what he's doing there? But like the thing with all of this is like the the fact that they did uh, just kind of put together this makeshift rotation right. and this weird offensive lineup and just like not a lot of top end talent outside of Joey Gallo now, but like, I don't even think a lot of us saw him becoming this kind of superstar um, at this point in his career. But then again, like uh, there was a really good piece in the ringer. I think it was Michael Bauman who wrote this about how like this era of baseball was built for Joey Gallo. So Mm -hmm. he just came along in the right moment. So another example of timing is more important than just about anything in life. And he just, I guess outside of the late nineties, I think he would have been good in the McGuire Sammy Sosa era. Something tells totally. me that he would have been good there too, I guess, but um, really just the David Eckstein era and the, the, uh, the 10 years ago and stuff like that, I guess is the one where he could have been in real trouble and been like uh, Russell Brannion, maybe something like that. I don't know. I think that yeah. would be a possibility. Um, the idea of a guy like him getting consistent playing time, uh, like full, like being a full-time player and playing 140, 150 games, every single season or at least like more than one season uh, w- is, was unheard of probably then. Cause like even Branyan who is, I mean, really similar, like had a ton of power, struck out a ton, walked a lot. I, I don't think he had many seasons as a, a full-time guy. So yeah, th- there's definitely something to that. Um, so I'm going to read you an excerpt from Craig Edwards on Fangraphs, a place that we're both familiar with. You used to write for, and I read every day. And I thought this little nugget about Texas is just is wild um, when you put into perspective what they're doing this year and what all they've actually done, which is not very much. Um, Texas lost 95 games a season ago and didn't wow anyone with their offseason. They trade away their best player in Jerks and Profar and watch Adrian Belcher retire, which is an underrated thing because Levi Weaver and I have talked about this of just like how integral he was to that group and just how likable he is and just a great locker room guy and just losing somebody like Belcher, you could see um, being a real problem just because he's like the most likable baseball player ever. Um, the team sent off two of their four pitchers who had at least a one war in 2019 trading uh kiana kayla uh during the during the season and alex claudio over the winter there were any players with major issues injuries set to return and boost the club no top prospects were expected to make an impact never usually a good sign um the rangers (laughs) biggest free agent commitment on the position player side was catcher jeff mathis who was entering year 43 of his mlb career um after opening day payrolls of around 160 million in 2016 16 and 2017 the club was looking at payroll below 120 million to start this year texas was abs- absolutely earned the 90 loss projection at the beginning of the season because they are second in beating their projections right now um they're the biggest difference between uh, i think they're fourth actually and the biggest is the twins obviously because they're like 20 games over 500 and that's right. insane but the rangers are fourth um so they're they're beating their projections right now and uh no one's really sure why, because they didn't do anything to make this happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, we have some white Sox stuff going on here, like with Gallo, especially where, um, you know, if, if he's suddenly making more contact, um, that he has an MVP type profile just because the average is really the only thing that holds him back. So, you know, if he, if he's figured something out, um, suddenly he's a much better player than you expected. I think you could, you can obviously see that with, with Pence, who's not a young guy, but just another kind of example of 
a veteran maybe refinding himself. And I think you can make the same case for Elvis Andrews. Um, Chu's kind of been you know, decent the last few years, so I, I wouldn't say it as much with him. And then a guy like Willie Calhoun, who really hasn't been up much, but I think people have always looked at him as a player who is going to hit no matter what. So if he's able to deliver on that, I mean, suddenly you're looking at a, a team that actually has some promising guys. And I know it, it I can't say that I saw this coming. I mean, it, it did certainly come out of nowhere. But again, there there are some pieces there that you you can look at and say, well, these guys have been good in the past or we've, we've expected them to be good. Um, so I, I don't I don't even know where I'm going with this. Like how how shocked should we really be? Because it is shocking. And then you look at it and you're like, OK, well, the things that needed to go right are essentially going right at, at this moment. So will that continue? And I think that's where you get into the bigger issue. Yeah. Um, the last thing, and then we'll put a bow on this. Um, if you had to define where the Rangers and John Daniels are at as a team, would you say they're rebuilding or reloading? Like, do we see this team as buyers this summer? Does he secretly hope they kind of fall off a cliff so he can um, sell high on some of these guys, maybe even Mike Miner to and Lance Lynn? And I, I don't know. Like, I, I wonder what John Daniels actually wants here and how they that front office sees this team right now. Yeah, my, my guess is my guess is they'd probably want him to drop off a little bit um, because there's just so many guys there that you can't count on to stay good past this season. So even if Hunter Pence were to keep this up, like I don't know how many people are really betting on him to do the same exact thing next year. So, uh, yeah, part of me thinks um, they probably want to sell off assets. The other part of me thinks if, if they're still in this position a month from now and, and five games over 500 and in the thick of the wild card race, I think tentatively buying makes some sense. Uh, you don't want to give up major prospects, which... Uh, Do they have major prospects in the well, pipeline right I, now? I, I haven't really just read anything say, about any of their guys right now. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm i thinking off the top of my head, but I can't really... This isn't I think a good sign. Like, the fact that they opened up this right. season with no one, like, even having a chance to come in um, this year and make an impact. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not an expert. Where's Keith Law's number? Where is Keith? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, no, I, I think when I associate prospects with them i mean i still associate a lot of the young guys on on their team with that that last that really great core so you know the profars and gallo and mazara um guys like that i still kind of think of them as like the prospects even though they've been in the majors for years so yeah i I don't know that there's a a ton of super promising ready-to-go guys in the system right now well their number one prospect is named hans so I don't see how that doesn't go go right for them. Hans Kraus, whoever that is. Um, their top two are pitchers. They have someone named Julio Pablo Martinez, which is obviously going to be a star. Like that's a star name. He's top four in their uh, pipeline. That's that's a fun one. Bubba Thompson's number five. Mm-hmm. There's a Bubba Thompson in this in this group. Um, it's pretty great. Pretty on brand with a lot of these names. I'm pretty sure they like have a requirement to draft at least like a tenth of their farm system has to be really Southern Texas, like high school football quarterback names. Cole Reagan's is in here. Cole Eli yeah, White. There are some, I, there are some <laughs> names. There's so many Texas quarterback names. Sam Huff. Oh, the list goes on. I love this. Um, I want to believe that that's part of like an ownership. Um, just a uh, point of emphasis is just like, you have to draft some, uh, 
Texas quarterback names. It's a requirement in Texas. Um, Dallas Keuchel, he finally signed. Um, he appeared in, I think, single after getting his start rained out in Gwinnett on Saturday. Uh, he pitched like six innings. People were like, oh, congratulations on a dominant win over inferior competition. So shout out to him for um, doing that uh, on Monday. But I, I guess it's interesting to read all the different pieces and listen to the different people uh, kind of pick apart uh, the Keiko stuff. I wrote about this over the weekend that I don't think this pushes them over the Phillies as favorites in the NL East. Um, I think they are tied as of this recording, but um, I'm also a believer in the team that traded for JT Romuto and signed Bryce Harper and not the team that had an opportunity to do both and had a better trade package for Real Muto and elected not to because they don't actually want to win the division and be contenders this year or else they would have done more than signing Flyers and signing Nick Marquez to a one-year $5 million deal. Um, and then also tried Endurance Yarte at leadoff. Uh, again, I'm just uh, <laughs> another great, great stuff there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I I don't know. Did Dallas Keuchel pick the right situation here? Is Atlanta the perfect spot for him? Does this move the needle at all for you? Do people overreact to like, well, now the Braves have shown that they're going for it. And it's like, ah, not really. I mean, the rotation's just a mess, and they just had a body that they can throw in there because Fulton Evich has been bad. Tehran's bad. Um, you, Kevin Gausman's falling off a cliff. Like, I think all of it is was just like, save us um, because all we have is Soroka and Freed, and Freed's been batted around a little bit lately too. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a lot of it. I, I think I mean the, you made a lot of points there. So I think the first one would be um, I, I don't look at the Braves and say, "Ooh, they're really serious about contending." For all the reasons you said, I mean, they, I think I think I named them as my most disappointing team coming into the year, just because I, I thought there was such an opportunity for them to really try and distance themselves uh, in in the East, and they really didn't do anything. Uh, that said, I think Keuchel really fits well with them. Uh, the the problem I had with the their team coming in, or or maybe the reason I thought uh, regression would hit, was uh, the rotation was just a lot of young guys, and sometimes that works out really great, and other times not all those guys hit, or not all those guys hit at the same time, which has suddenly become the the theme of this podcast. So I think you look at that. You not only look at when you're dealing with young guys like this, um, very few of them are going to give you 200 innings just based on the way the, the game has trended the, the last few years. Uh, we're not pushing young pitchers, especially deeper into games. We're not pushing really any pitchers deep into games, but young guys especially. And so I think even if you want to look at Keuchel and, and look at some declining peripherals from last season, uh, particularly with his strikeout rate, and you want to be concerned about that, I think that's fair. I also think the Braves are a team that really could use the innings. So even if he's a, a guy who posts a 415 ERA, I still think that's valuable because you're taking a lesser pitcher out of the rotation, yes, but you're also maybe saving some young arms from having to uh, bear the brunt of more stressful innings or you know, put – 30, 40, 50 plus extra innings on their arm as, as the playoffs approach. So I, I like the signing. Um, I, I do think that for that money and, and that length of time, it was just a year, like any team should have been on him. Every single team could use a, a guy like Keuchel. So I don't want to give the Braves a ton of credit for making an obvious move, but I do think it helps them quite a bit. Especially because the draft pick compensation stuff was so overblown. Right. 
and no one talked right. about it. They were like, well, I was tied to a pick and that was it. It That was a, enough of a reason for people to just be like, see, that's that's why they signed now. There was just, it, that's the CBA issue. It was, it's like, no, it was the late 20. Like if you go, I forgot who it was who tweeted this out of just like the, the best player pick at the spot that you would have lost um, to sign Keiko or Kimbrell. It was just, it's, it's ridiculous. And um, I don't buy it as a real thing. And you know what? The Braves should have signed him uh, in the offseason. They should have signed him to a couple-year deal. Like, I, I am kind of concerned with how Keiko was last year. Um, I think there is Certainly, reason yeah. to believe that he will struggle and that it may not be a slam dunk, but it's also a one-year flyer. And this is a team just trying to make the wild card game and get a little playoff revenue for their real estate team. Um, also known as the Atlanta Braves, also the Atlanta Battery, depending on who you talk to. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it can't hurt because uh, their rotation outside of Soroka um, and Freed, who I still love, but he's getting hit up a little bit, um, is just bad. And Voltnevich is not who he was a year ago, and he's just so hit or miss. And then the Gaussman stuff. So Newcomb is back in the rotation after being extremely good since getting called back up from Gwinnett in the bullpen. But... He's been good in the bullpen and not as a starter this season, but Gaussman has fallen off a cliff. And um, I think it's so interesting because Newcomb and Gaussman are kind of the same in that it's kind of like a command and like believing in your stuff and finding your rhythm and confidence that you can actually do this. Like you have all the talent in the world. They like, he was the prize um, guy in the Anderton Simmons trade. And Gaussman was this guy who the Orioles thought years and years ago was going to be this superstar ace. And it took some time and then he became it and then he traded it and all that kind of stuff. But there was a quote from Gaussman in 2016. I wanted to read that kind of um, made me, uh, just kind of uh, think about like him and Newcomb and them getting swapped out for each other and just how interesting that is. Anyway, um, he said, I've just been way more consistent. This is after he kind of put it together in 2016. Um, I think my other thing is confidence. If you get the confidence at this level, it's kind of contagious. You take the mound expecting to pitch well. You're not wondering in the back of your head, how is the start going to go? You're confident in yourself and your ability. And I wonder if Newcomb had that because he was in the bullpen, he knew his job. He didn't have to really worry anymore. He was back and he just excelled. And now I'm kind of worried that like throwing him back into the rotation and he gets a bad start or are, are the wheels going to spin off again? Is Gaussman going to the the bullpen good for him to get his, con- it's, I, I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. The, I mean, the Gaussman thing, like he, he's, he was part of that Orioles, core of pitchers who were supposed to deliver them to the promised land who, and like all of who kind of failed. Um, I mean, I think Zach Britton obviously was a win, but, but he came in the bullpen, but I'm thinking like Brian Maddox and like Corey Spoon. I don't know if he was ever really in that group, but still like, I, I think you can look at what Gaussman's done and, and, it would have to be a disappointment, right? Based on yeah, the way he was hyped coming up. I, I don't know. I mean, he's a guy I, I perpetually draft in, in fantasy, like <laughs> thinking that it, it's this is going to be the year and the peripherals look pretty decent and then they just never get there. So I, I don't know what to make of him. I, I think with Newcomb, I mean, the, the big problem for me, uh, even when he, he was kind of coming up, was just walk rates. I mean, you're always kind of concerned when uh, a, a young pitcher – has issues with control um you know the promising thing has been he, he's been able to cut that a little bit in the pen and so if that's something that's going to carry over um he could certainly figure it out and and 
it's another situation of a, a young guy who has a lot of promise. So I, I think I am, I hesitate always to, to give up on talent like that. And so I guess I kind of secretly hope that he has figured out something with, with control or command that allows him to, to maybe unlock some of that potential everyone kind of expected from him. Yeah. Um, and the Braves have like 19 of these guys. On, uh, exactly. Well, I mean, I mean, they really loaded up, and and I think that's the the fear with young pitching, right? Is, is that if if four of those guys hit, you're in great shape. But, but it's not realistic two- that Kyle Wright, Soroka, Freed, right. like going up and down the list, they're not all going to hit. And that was like Correct. my whole beating the drum where they're like, oh, there's no reason to go for Keiko now or go for this now, and we can just see this pick. I'm like, not all. Like, I don't think you even understand like how lucky the Braves are with how much of their young guys have already hit. Austin Riley being an instant revelation, along mm-hmm. with Acuna, who's a bona fide superstar for years. Um, you go up and down the list. Freeman's been great, and you get great health. But like a lot of their young guys have hit, and it's just not realistic. That's why you have to do the kind of the Astros where you bring in a Brantley, you bring in uh, a Verlander, you bring in like uh, you trade for Garrett Cole. Like you understand that you're good at developing talent, but you also still go for it. You don't do the Indians thing where you're like, all right, I guess everybody's gone and we'll just hope that the guys that we've developed um, can carry over and that Jose Ramirez doesn't fall off a cliff. Um, No, that's not what you should do. You have to keep adding other talent mixing and matching and understanding that like some people in your pipeline, like trade the ones that you're not, confident in like trade the ones that you're just like do the anderson simmons thing but in reverse like move on from Newcomb, where you're like i don't know he's got all the time in the world but simmons is good right now and i know he's gonna be good for us for the next three to five years if we're gonna contend and blah blah, blah. like you have to do a couple of those it doesn't mean you gut your farm system like the giants and other teams have done um and even the ruben amaro era and philadelphia like you don't have to go full just sell off the entire farm and just gut it but you do do some stuff where it's like you don't hoard all of this young arm talent because some of them, like inevitably some of these guys are going to get Tommy John. Some of these guys are going to right. get hurt. And you just, when you have holes like Nick Marquegas and Wright and Ender and Ciarte playing baseball at all and um, relying on Dansby and Ozzy Alves to be above average infield hitters for a full season. Like there's just so many different things they could have done. Um, and also not going into year with Tyler flowers and Brian McCann and just trading for real Muto. Like that's the one I just think they should have just done. Um, cause they would have beaten the Phillies offer and you see he's really important to them and he's been very good. Right. Um, turns out JT Romuto feel good. Uh, actually good at baseball. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just very frustrated and I just, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's, there's certainly something to the strategy of get as many promising young arms as possible. And then, kind of play the percentages and hope that four of your nine guys hit. But I think that has to come with being willing, I think as we've said throughout this whole thing, to make additions, to to cover yourself with a guy like Keiko or one or two other veterans, just in case the probability doesn't work out and you're only getting, you know, a guy like Mike Soroka out of it who who really hits his ceiling. So if you they know. trade for Bumgarner just because they're worried about, like, <laughs> I, I just, Ian Anderson, Kyle Wright, um, Bryce Wilson, Bryce Luis Gohara, like, you can go up uh-huh. and Colby Allard, like, all these guys are not going to be the next Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, and Tom. Totally. It's not happening. So no, just totally, trade the yeah. ones that you don't believe in. Like, that's part of being a good GM. It's like, mm, I may have missed this one. Let me sell before people figure out that he's not actually good. I, I, I mean, 
for some of those guys, we might be past that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, exposing them to the majors was maybe maybe backfired in some cases. I mean, there's still plenty of time for some of those guys to turn it around. But, you know, I don't know that the 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 trade package for a guy like Kyle Wright is extremely high at the moment, at least. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm frustrated. But whatever. Um, everything's fine, actually, in Atlanta. <laughs> Folks. Atlanta's fine. Um, the last uh, two things I want to touch on, um, the Mariners, who just so sad. They got off to this great start, and people were like, oh, this is cool. They're taking advantage of a bad ale. Um, and then they fell off a cliff, and they're like 20 games under 500. Um, what did the Mariners do now that they had this hot start? And, like, we can't even um, forget about how they started last year. And, like, um, we just kind of – it just it, – it's not going to work, right? Like, I think we're at that point where it's just – you got to do something, but then you're like, you look at this roster and you're like, oh, their best hitter is Edwin's Encarnacion. He's like 36. Um, right. You can get something from, I'm sure, from a contender, but like you're not going to rebuild that farm system by trading him and Daniel Vogelbach and Mitch Hanniger's uh, testicles are erupting. Like there's just not a lot of room for optimism, um, especially on the age front. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you fix this? Is there a lot of hope and upside with this, young group of Tom Murphy and Omar Navarez and uh, I, I don't know, Domingo Santana. Like it's just, I, I don't know how you blow this up, but I just, my whole thing is like, I don't know how Jerry DePoto keeps his job after this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think really how, how you blow it up is what happened in the off season, right? Offloading Diaz and Cano and trying to bring in w- at least one promising player out of it. I mean, I, I think, for the Mariners, and, and like I said at the beginning of this call, you know, I lived there the, the last uh, five years, so I, I was definitely up close and, and saw this. Um, to me, they were always a team that was going to need to do this drastic rebuild. I think the the timing puzzled me a little bit, mostly because of the stuff we've already talked about, where I, I, I saw the AL, particularly the wild card spots, is wide open. So I, I kind of think had the Mariners kept those guys and maybe bought a little bit, we could be talking about them instead of Texas at the, at the top of the podcast. Um, so yeah, I, I think now that they kind of started that process in the off season, they don't really have a choice, right? They, they have to keep going to full bore into this rebuild. So yeah, I think, I mean, Encarnacion, um, there's no way that he can stick around this team after the trade deadline. They, they have to get something for him. Um, I, I don't know what Kyle Seeger can really bring back at this point because he's been pretty diminished lately. Um, Omar Narvaez has actually not been terrible, and given the the dearth of talent at catcher, I, I'd kind of be curious to see if they could get uh, maybe a a B minus level prospect for him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I look up and down the the roster, and there's not a ton of guys who I think are are bringing you back significant talent. So I just think they're in a tough spot because the farm system hasn't been good for a long time. The tradable assets are no longer good. And honestly, the only reason you offloaded Cano is because you were willing to deal Diaz with him. So I just think they're in rough shape for like five plus years to come at this point, unless they hit the, the prospect jackpot or something. Um, they're just in a rough spot. Wasn't their whole thing um, trying to like go like zig while everybody else is zagging with home runs and everything. But like 
they're historically bad defense with UZR and defensive run saves. I, I think I read this piece on Beyond the Box Score like a month ago. Um, this, this team is so bad defensively. Like, how does this happen? I feel like that's a park where you should be good defensively. And like this, right? how I, I don't understand. Uh, honestly, I mean, I, I feel like the, I don't even know. I don't even know what to make of it. Like, I, I, I think Jerry DePoto, the, the identity has been making a lot of deals and seeing what sticks. Yep. So I don't even know that. Like I, I don't even know if I could say like they're they're zigging while zagging, giving up on home runs because you know they did they did have Cano and they did have Cruz, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's just Depoto was for a while trying to do whatever he could to to get the team to the postseason, and then just with a snap of his fingers, it seemed like he stopped in the off season, and suddenly those those desperation deals for guys hoping. They're guys that he thought would maybe push them over the edge and get them to 92 wins stopped happening. And you started seeing uh, a lot younger guys being brought in or them taking shots on a guy who had previously been decent, but is maybe a little older like Domingo Santana or even Malik Smith. Um, and I just think the focus changed in the offseason and now we're we're left with a really bad team with not a lot to be excited about. So I guess Wade LeBlanc isn't a star pitcher. Um, I'll never forget <laughs> that uh, season where people, there was a really good piece about this, um, but Wade LeBlanc, that late career resurgence in Seattle. I'm like, he looks like a late career resurgence pitcher in Seattle. And that it was almost like Mike, Mike hey, like, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he did for a little bit look like he had figured something out. So and now he sucks again. It, um, uh, I, it, it, life is tough. Baseball is hard. Pitchers will break your heart. I mean, that's there's no truer statement to, to me than that in baseball. Yeah. Um, well, the Mariners are screwed. That's all we'll wrap up there. Um, you wrote a piece on Luke Jackson, Braves closer, who blew a save on Sunday. Um, I'm still not sold on him as a closer, but you wrote about him. Um, what should why should people read uh, your piece on Yahoo Sports about Luke Jackson? Well, I, I think for me, um, I'm, I'm a pretty big video game nerd. So um, being able to talk to Luke Jackson about his involvement in an esports um, team, he's a co-owner with his brother. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of questions actually at, at Yahoo about what esports is. I mean, it's, it's basically competitive video gaming. Um, I know people are, are maybe hesitant to buy into that as a legitimate sport um i will has like their own league now yeah and and and, you know throughout my conversation with with luke he had mentioned um the Fortnite thing that a lot of his athletes are training for uh offers 30 million dollars so i mean there there is legitimate money in this um he also referred to the players on the team as athletes so he does view them as athletes and i i think I, I got off topic here, off course here, but um, if you're if you're into video games, uh, especially Fortnite, I think it's worth a read. I also think there's an interesting dynamic where he is basically doing front office and agent and marketing stuff for a completely different sport, and kind of how that is completely different from what he's doing as a player for the Braves, and how it gives him this this really weird perspective, right? Because 
he he's essentially front office and GM in a different sport while he's a player in another sport. I just think that's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, and he also doesn't, I don't know if you can look like you are an e-sports investor, but um, Luke Jackson does not look like an e-sports guy. I, <laughs> that's why that, the piece stood out to me of just like, and you just never know. Can't judge a bunch. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, you know, gaming is, is kind of rampant within baseball. I know it was, a, it was a big deal with the Red Sox and in more of a negative light um, a couple of seasons ago, but I think Jackson estimated to me at least 75% of, of players are, are playing something. And a lot of the time it's Fortnite just because um, it's on multiple gaming platforms. So it's really easy for teammates and other players to connect and hop online and play together. So I, I think so weird know, to me, like we went backwards in gaming <laughs> somehow, like we went back to like the nineties where it was like two games or eighties or whatever. Like I just, it, it's so weird that people, all play just like one game and that game just looks like it's something just super i i don't get it i never understood it and I, I, it's amazing to me like we went the other way well have you have you played fortnite i have not see so it's not my favorite game i i play a lot of rpgs um but i i played fortnite i played it uh, quite a bit now but the first couple of times i played it i immediately got the hook um I think it's just one of those games where you, you always feel like you have a chance, even if it's your first time playing. And so I see how it it becomes addictive to a lot of people. Um, so yeah, I just um, I, I think though, you know, in in his case, like I, I've texted with him a little bit since then, and um, he, he's playing a lot of different stuff. So he's not necessarily limited to one or two games. Although I think that is just such a big thing that. It kind of has taken over what he can do with with teammates and other guys uh, around the league. Well, you know what I think? I think he should spend less time playing video games and more times not blowing saves against the Florida Marlins. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, he it, it's a business for him, so he's got to be a little involved, right? He's got more at stake. I guess. I guess. No, I get it, he, and and he I'm made totally it really joking, clear. That, I'm just, I went no, I know. Video yeah. voice there. But I, I should say, I mean, he made it really clear that this is not that baseball is clearly his number one priority. And then the offseason hits. And that's when he really gets into uh, working for the esports team, which is called Raised by Kings. Yeah, well, that's cool. Um, baseball players. It turns out there's more to them than just uh, hitting dingers and preventing them. Who, who would have ever guessed, Chris? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad, you know, the response to the, the, the piece has been really positive, And so I'm, I'm glad it resonated because it's kind of the perfect cross section for me. If I can talk about video games and baseball, like I, that is, I don't get much happier than that. I, uh, I'm glad. Well, Chris, <laughs> <laughs> I know the, I'm glad, um, Man, it's late. It's ten thirty my time. I'm getting old. I'm washed. I this, this is how I am these days. Um. Anyway, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. This was a lot of fun talking baseball. It's been a little bit, so don't be a stranger. Let's uh, have you back on the pod course, sooner yeah. rather than later. Um. Talk about the Rangers when they're seven games up on uh, the Yankees in the win loss column at some point. Who who can rule it out? Um. But I really do appreciate it. Um. We can read you at Yahoo Sports. We can read that part- that piece in particular at Yahoo Sports. Um, is there anything we need to look out for you this week or um, what should we, anything else before we get out of here? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Swick. That's spelled C W I K. And um, I spoke with Mike Trout earlier today. So 
Uh, hopefully later this week or next week at the latest, I'll have something uh, about my conversation with him, which I'm, I'm really excited about because he's the best. All right. Well, I'll look out for it, Chris. Thank you, sir. And have a good rest of the week. You too. Thanks a lot. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.